From the Word of God, Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 36. If you have your Bible, will you open up and follow along? Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. Hear God's Word this morning. As they, the disciples, were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? That is I, I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. May God bless us today through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, bless this word now, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts that we may receive it full and well, that through our lives we may live it. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Beth and I, my wife and I, were... uh, we're engaged in Cades Cove, which is a little area on the west side of the Smoky Mountains. Beautiful, open enclave. It has um, fields that looks like the sound of music. And um, mountains aren't quite as jagged and high, but they're beautiful. And, and so it, it had been our tradition to go back to Cades Cove annually in the fall, and we'd have a picnic out there in the middle of the cove. And... Uh, one time we had everything set out and all of the, the blankets out there and, and coolers and we had our, our little triplets there. This is pre, uh, PB, pre-Benjamin. And uh, we, had, um, we had, they were probably about maybe three, four years old, maybe five, four or five years old, something like that. And um, I noticed about 400 yards away that there were these quarter horses, huge, you know, muscular horses and they, were, they seemed sort of agitated. And it just flashed across my mind, I wonder if they're bothered that we're out here in the middle of their field. And uh, uh, after a little while, I started to notice one in particular just kind of bowing up and down, and he started to charge. He was coming right at us. 
And so uh, Beth got uh, under this uh, barbed wire fence, and I handed each one of our little ones over the top of it. And by the time I got done with the last one, that horse was almost on top of me, probably from here to, that, to, to, to Doug Silvis right there. And uh, I had no time to get under there without uh, under the barbed wire. And so I just instinctively pulled a Mia ham. And I ripped off my, uh, <laughs> ripped off my outer shirt, and I held it up as, as high as I could to look as big as I could. And uh, I don't know where I learned. No, nobody taught me this. I just did this. You know? and, and, and this horse went, you know, just put on the brakes immediately. And then it looked sort of hurt and just kind of shook its head and ran off. And I thought to myself, yeah, baby. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I'm sitting there. I'm not looking at my kids. I'm just sort of pr- trying to pretend that I'm not proud, you know, like, that was awesome. <laughs> my kids are watching like, what a hero. Man, he's amazing, incredible. And I turn, and they are all in tears because I had scared the horse away. <laughs> they thought he was coming to play, and I was the mean guy who scared him off. There was my shot at dramatic hero, heroism. That was it. That was my one shot. You know, isn't it amazing how we have this, uh, this attraction to people who are flawed heroes? Flawed heroes. All of our, our heroes in, in books and in mu- movies, I mean, they, they do amazing things and they inspire us, but, but we relate to them because of their flaws. We connect with them because they, they, have, they have difficulties. We relate to them because they make mistakes. We connect with them because they have difficulties. You know, it's amazing to me that it never fails. When I, when I mess up on a Sunday morning and I, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about it and... Um, that's pretty much every Sunday morning. So, like, so when I do that, uh, it never fails that if it's like obvious to everybody that that's the thing that they appreciated most. <laughs> it's like that's the thing they say, you know, that just makes you human, right? I mean, that, that just helps me understand that you're human too and, I, and, and it's okay. And I really, and, and I really appreciate that. But, but it never fails that people, people uh, connect with that. So why do we connect with Jesus, the perfect man? Why is it that, that time and time again, generation to generation, culture to culture, era to era, old and young, we connect with him? Why do we connect with him? The reason is he, get, he gets into our mess and he brings hope. He brings hope near He gives us a sense that we can hope now in full humanity. He lived a full human life. It wasn't that he was a superhuman. It was that he was fully human. He shows us that being fully awake and alive, the abundant life, a full human life, is possible now. He shows us what's possible now. But he's also fully God. And he brings hope for things to come near. That's why we connect with Jesus. He brings hope closely as fully man, fully God. Let's take a look at that. First of all, Jesus, fully human. 
fully human. He taps into our appetite for humanity. Don't we have an appetite for it? I mean, Mary Sarton puts it this way. She said, we have to think like a hero. Often we have to think like a hero just to be a decent human being. Isn't it true? Your temptations, the things that we have to deal with, the difficulties in relating to each other sometimes, the ways we feel misunderstood. So often we have to think like a hero just to, just to behave like a decent human being, just to respond well rather than just reacting. Jesus shows full humanity, and it's inspiring. Just his humanity is inspiring. It's powerful. It taps into our appetite to be fully human. He taps into it. Somebody, uh, somebody saw Robert Redford uh, on, a, uh, on an elevator and said, are you the real Robert Redford? And he said, yes, whenever I'm not acting, I'm the real Robert Redford, right? Now, so, so let's think about somebody who we think of as heroic, who is always himself, who responds with full humanity. Somebody, somebody from recent history who we think of as, as, as somebody who, who was able to endure the difficulties of a broken world. Think of Louis Zamperini, the, the, the hero in the middle of the story of Unbroken. You, you all have, have seen the book probably by Laura Hildebrand or you've watched the movie. But here's a guy who was in the sea for 47 days, stranded, picked up by a Japanese uh, ship, taken and, and tortured during World War II. And time and time again, he responds with resilience. Resilience. And we're inspired by that story. We're amazed that, that he's able to endure with such courage. But do you know? Louis Zamperini taught us something more than that. He came home an angry and broken man. He came home an alcoholic. He abused his family until one night in 1949, he went to a Billy Graham gathering. And he laid his brokenness at the foot of the cross. And he became not only resilient, now he was redeemed redeemed. See, you and I, we, we, we do our best at our very best. It pales in comparison to the way that Jesus responds. Here we are, and when one person insults us, right, when one person misunderstands us, we want the whole world to know. Isn't it true? When one person misunderstands us, when one person mistreats us, our instinct is to go to social media and just blast it out there, right? That's what you want to do. That's your instinct, right? It's like, I'm just going to let everybody know what kind of person this is, right? One person misunderstands you. One person insults you. You want the whole world to know. But when Jesus had the whole world against him, he still had something to give. What is that? He still was fully human. He thought like a hero and was able to behave like a decent human being. He looked out at the people 
who unjustly misunderstood him, abused him, and were about to execute him. And he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Even his humanity is inspiring. Isn't it true? When one person insults us, when one person misunderstands us, when one person does something wrong to us, we want the whole world to know. But when Jesus had the whole world against him, yet he had something to give, where did that come from? That's why, I believe, that's why the soldier who was standing by, who watched this full picture of humanity, said, truly, this was the Son of God. See, the picture of Jesus' humanity is like that arrow. It's like a big arrow you draw around all of the messy arrows of human life. It's the big arrow that, that gives us a clear sense of direction for all of the disparate appetites that pull on us. We have an appetite just to be fully human. That's why Jesus, when he gathered with his disciples after he was killed, he said, look at my wounds. Put your hand here. Let's, let's have some broiled fish, right? This is a claim. This isn't a legend. This is a claim. He's saying, this is real. This is my real person, my real body. He's showing us, he's giving us a picture of hope, not for just for there and then, but a picture of full humanity that when we follow in his steps and are inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we follow in the steps of Jesus and we respond the way he did, even when it doesn't make sense, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Does that make sense? And yet, you see a hopeful picture of a full fulsome humanity. It's possible for you. It's possible for me. Not only that, Jesus didn't let go of his divinity. Jesus gives us an appetite for eternity in living. In our midst, he brings eternity near. Fully human, yes, but also fully God. He taps in. That's why we can connect with him. That's why we relate to him. That's why he's the most inspiring. People say not only who is Jesus, but what is he? He's the only person who ever lived where people say, what kind of love is this, O oh my soul? What is he? Not just who is he. What is he? Because he brings eternity near and he taps into something. Don't miss this. He taps into something that's there. An appetite for something. You thirst, there's water. Right? You need to catch your breath, there's air. You're hungry, there's food. You're wired for achievement, there's work to do. And on and on and on, you know there's a corresponding appetite and there's something to fulfill it. And what, what Jesus is showing us is when he brings eternity near, he taps into something that's there. And it's a powerful witness to your soul that you are a creature creating the image and nature of God created for eternity. Not just for now. That your humanity was intended for eternity. And as somebody said, 
Anything that is not eternal is eternally out of date. I, like you, were sad, was saddened when I was watching the spire fall on Notre Dame. And I was really taken with the pictures of people standing silently watching that beautiful work of art up in flames. It took 400 years to build it. It was 800 years old. What a loss. What a loss. And, and people didn't have words for it, and people were heartbroken. There was a sense that all of a sudden they realized how much of themselves they had vested in this piece of architecture. These bones of, 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 of rock and of mortar and wood that one day, of course, would be reclaimed by the earth. How much of themselves had they put into it? Why do we do this? Why do we invest in, in these kinds of things? Because we aspire to eternity. It's why we long for beautiful things. It's why we create order out of chaos. It's why we, we lift up our eyes and look to the heavens and wonder and wonder at the vastness of the stars. We have a hunger and appetite for eternity. And Jesus brings eternity near. You know, there's an old story about, a, about three, three masons that are working on, uh, on something, and they're, they're building, and one, one of them uh, says it to, to a passerby, he says, what are you doing? He says, he says I'm stacking stones. I'm stacking stones. The next, the next uh, fellow responds this way. He says, well, I'm building a wall. He asks the, first, the third guy, he says, he says I'm, I'm constructing a cathedral. You can see, you can feel the difference between somebody who has this perspective that's just stacking stones. Is that enough to sustain you? Is that enough to drive you, motivate Does it even capture, does it fully capture the moment? Of course it doesn't. How much more then does Jesus, in the way that he lived, the way that he died, and the way that he demonstrates power even over death, elevate our vision of life? A guy named William Marsden did a, conducted a study of 3,000 people, asked 3,000 people, what is your hope? What's your picture of hope? What is your picture when you look into the future, what do you hope for? And what he found was 94% did not have a clear picture. I, I don't fault people for vesting so much of themselves into that beautiful piece of architecture, Notre Dame, in France. I don't fault them for it because we're wired for that. We're hungry for it. We have an appetite for it. But anything that is not eternal is eternally out of date. And so our hope has to be in something greater than man's achievements, greater than the human spirit binding itself together and creating something, even over the course of centuries. It has to be greater than anything that we can touch. It has to be vested in eternity itself. And we know it. We know it. We know it when we see the spire fall. We know it because we were created with this inborn hunger, for things that endure, we know it. You see, this is, why, this is why the disciples, this hunger for eternity is why the disciples didn't set up shop outside the tomb. 
We don't know where the tomb is. Now, you go over and they'll, they'll claim to tell you that this is where the tomb probably was. We don't know where the tomb was. Because they didn't really care about the tomb. Why? Because of what we read this morning. They had Jesus. They didn't need the tomb. They had the man himself. They had Jesus. Something that has been totally debunked is that this is, this is not legend. You know, in the, in, in the early part of the 20th century, there, there was this whole thing called the quest for the historic Jesus, and there was this sort of academic trend that, that grew up out of the Tübingen School in, uh, from uh, a guy named Rudolf Bultmann in, in, uh, in, in Germany, who was trying to make sense of why these credible sources had such incredible things in them. And there was this theory that, that these were legend that developed over time. Do you know that's been entirely debunked? Because the... the the premise was that these manuscripts, that, that they were corrupted from one generation to the next, and maybe hundreds of years later, these, these miraculous elements worked themselves into. Now we know, now, now most scholars would agree, very few scholars would, would disagree that Paul's letter, that we read, part of Paul's letter that we read this morning, this is the good news which we received, in which we stand, and by which we are saved, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day, that he appeared to Mary, then the twelve, then to many faithful witnesses. That was written in 52 AD. Not in 250, not in 350. These are not legends. This is Paul who spent time with Peter. This is Paul who knew the brother of Jesus. This is Paul who planted the Corinthian church and who spoke back to them these words that, that smack of a creed. They are a creed. They pre-existed him. This is what Paul faithfully received himself. You see, these were people who had the ability to say whether or not what was being said was true or false, and these are people who died. Died. They had the ability to know. Now, people die for all kinds of things. They die for all kinds of, of lies. But when you're in the position to know whether or not something is true or false, and you die, how much more of a witness do you need? Jesus says, you are my witnesses. The blood of the martyrs then becomes the seedbed of the church. Jesus fulfills it. Jesus brings this picture of hope near, this picture of eternity that taps into our appetite for things that endure. It's a little like this. It's a, there's a story of a, a father who, who uh, is distracted by his son. So he takes, he takes a, a map out of the New York Times, rips it off, and, and he cuts it up, shreds it into a bunch of different pieces, and says, you know, put this together. Just take your time. Put this together. Spend some time you know, just putting this map together, okay? And, uh, and about 30 seconds later, the boy is, is finished. And he said, how did you do that? He said, well, on the back was a picture of a man, a face of a man. You see, Jesus is that face and has always been the face of humanity that makes sense of us, makes sense of the best. Jesus is that face of things to come. The thing that, that points us and paints a clear picture, not a fuzzy picture of our future. Not to be in the 94% who have no clarity about where their hope lies. 
You see, Jesus fulfills the scriptures, even as he says here. He opened their eyes to see who he really is. He fulfills the scriptures. Jesus fulfills Adam's call to be obedient to God, to work the land, to develop things. He fulfills Adam's call. Jesus, where Abel's blood was spilled and accuses Cain, Jesus' blood redeems him. Where Abraham left home as the father of nations, Jesus fulfills that promise. Isaac, who was almost sacrificed by his father, Jesus was sacrificed by his father. I has promised even in that story. Jacob became Israel, the hope of the nation. Jesus was called Israel, the father of all nations. Joseph declared how God used evil for the good at the end of the Genesis story. Remember that? One of the most hopeful verses of scripture. What, what you intended to harm, God used for good. How much more did Jesus declare for all time? The worst of humanity inflicted on the best of humanity. God turned to good. David was the king after God's own heart. Jesus, the true king from the heart of God. Jonah, the reluctant prophet in a whale for three days. Jesus, the fulfilling, passionate prophet in the tomb for three days. Jesus, the real and true Passover lamb. He is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true bread of the presence. In the holy of holies, he is the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant. Jesus fulfills the scripture as the living word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why John Updike says this. One of our great American poets, he said this. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths of fuddled eyes of the 11 apostles. It was his flesh, our flesh, the same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let not us not mock God with metaphor. Let us not spiritualize the story. Analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back. Not paper mache, not a stone in story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at that tomb, make it a real angel with Max Planck's quantra, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun in a definite room. Let us not seek to make it monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. 
you and I have an appetite to be fully human. We are inspired by Jesus' humanity. Having the worst of humanity doled out on him, he demonstrated the very best. In the midst of us, we have an appetite for the eternity, for eternal things, for things that endure. And anything that is not eternal is eternally out of date. This morning, as we gather as a church, as you consider what does Easter mean, as you wonder what, how to carry this back with you into tomorrow's day, into the work that you have waiting for you, where is your hope? Really, where are you vesting your hope? Is it in something that will fall with the next fire? Or is it in something that can never be taken away? Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for bringing eternity near. And not only that, living in such a way that made it accessible to us. We could see it. We could see it in flesh and bones. We can see it. We can see it in the work of a carpenter. We can see it in the everydayness of your living in our midst. We can see it in the full picture of humanity. How much more then, Lord? How much more can we hope? Not only in the now to be fully and awake and alive to the things you've called us to. Not only to respond well when when all the world turns against us. But Lord, to be witnesses of the hope that lies beyond this place. God, you are the arrow around all our arrows. You are the, the, the face on the back of the map of this broken world. God, redeem us even now. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.